This podcast was recorded on Turrbal and Yagara country. Blackbirds acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land and pays respects to elders past and present. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Offence But, a Blackbirds podcast hosted by me, Aisha Ash. Today, tonight, this evening, I am joined by none other than my mother, Georgia. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just come a bit closer to the mic. Oh, right. Okay. All right. Well, yes. I, I thought you might want me to say something witty, but uh, um, yes, I, I don't have any wit left for the day. So okay. You're all witted out. I'm all witted out. You're witless. <laughs> I'm witless. Twitless, witless. Can you introduce yourself? Because apart from being my mother, you've actually, you know, got a lot of other things going on. Yes. Uh, okay. So I'm yeah, Georgia and I'm a clinical psychologist. And I guess that's the, the whole purpose of me being on your podcast today. Not it so is. much my motherly virtues. What else would you like me to tell people? What, who are what is a clinical psychologist? Ah, a, a clinical psychologist is somebody who has done a generalist psychology degree. So that's generally a four year degree. And then there's several pathways. It's a little bit complicated, but there are several pathways a psychologist can take after they do their four years. Uh, one of them is to go into a master's program. And within those master's programs, there's various different subcategories. So I chose to do clinical psychology. So to actually specialize in that area. So that brings me to my first question, which is how and why did you become a psychologist? Okay. So how is quite easy because uh, I guess I, I had you obviously a little bit younger than, uh, than most people these days, having a child. And then I decided that probably at the age of, of 30, that I really need to do something besides uh, being a barmaid, which is probably an old fashioned word, so I shouldn't yeah, say that. I've a never... bar person, a bar person, <laughs> but working in a pub for, and doing various other jobs, uh, I thought I'd do something else with my life. And uh, psychology was one of those things that I guess... You know, for, for many people, they, they think about going down that path. And it is it is one of the most popular first-year subjects as a general subject. A lot of people pull out after the first year. They do a, a couple of subjects in psych and then realise it's probably not for them because there's a lot of statistics involved and that's not what people expect when you're talking about psychology. Most people go into psychology because... They would like to know more about how their own mind works and why they do the things they do and why they think the way they do. And also a natural curiosity as to why other people behave the way they do. So I think that motivates a lot of people and it probably motivated me as well. And I just liked the idea of helping people. And I was very interested in resilience and how people not just cope with adversity, but actually transcend adversity and go on to live, you know, really thriving, rich lives. Mm. So they were my motivators. Very nice. What are the most common mental health struggles that you see in clients? And I know you've worked in some very specific fields, mm-hmm. but yeah, do you want to talk about that? Or? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess when I first started off, in psych, I wanted to work with adolescents, I thought, and resilience and, and exactly what I said, you know, those those young people that transcend their circumstances. 
and, and go on to, to really have rich and meaningful lives. And I did both my theses on, on resilience in, in adolescence. But uh, I actually didn't fall into that area. I, from my master's degree, I went straight into a HIV service and sexual health service, and, and which I didn't expect to, to go down that path at all. But, you know, I'm sort of quite fatalistic about these things and, and there's always a reason why you end up where you do, I, I believe. And, and, and sometimes we, we are, well, I think a lot of the time we're the architects of that, whether we realise it or not. Anyway, so I, I ended up in a, in a HIV service and I, I stayed in that area of HIV, sexual health and transgender health for uh, a good 10 years or so. And then I also did some some brief stints in just community generalist mental health. So with government organisations, I worked in private practice and I worked for for-profit businesses as well. And currently I work specifically with veterans. And uh, so we see a lot of PTSD there. The reason why I tell you all of this is because people are people, right? Mm. And we all have a common sharing of suffering and pain and joy and in a whole range of emotions and regardless of what what cohort you're working with you see these same common themes in the the presenting issues that come through and they are the things that you would think are really prevalent because we talk about them all the time depression anxiety ptsd uh, complex ptsd as well and also relationship issues is a major one that you will see and also financial mm. life stressor type issues and I think they're becoming really more prevalent and the other thing that is becoming a lot more prevalent these days is um, issues are, uh, related to loneliness and social isolation. Mm. Yeah is that in a certain age group because I know I see a lot of things about older people with loneliness is it mostly older people who are talking about that or is it younger people as well? I, I think I think it's right across the board, particularly with COVID and the impacts of COVID where, you know, I, I think our, our youth, younger people were significantly uh, and arguably more affected in some respects than adults because they didn't have that connection which is so important with school mm. really the isolation there was was huge and if you if you think about a, a state like uh, Victoria or Melbourne more specifically they were in lockdown for the longest that was a that was the city with the longest lockdown period in the world yeah um, I guess also just like with all of these discussions that we're having right now you know just prefacing what I say by um, noting that it is very generalist in nature, but also I'm re I'm talking about our society, yeah, um, which you probably can, you know, map to the UK and Europe and the US and and Canada etc. But I, I'm not talking about other societies where I have very little knowledge on how the pandemic has, has really affected those societies like Africa, mm. um, like Southeast Asia, South America etc. So, sorry, I, I forgot your question then. Well, the question was... Oh, about isolation. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's across the board, as I said. But, yeah, certainly elderly people are very much affected and they're very much affected because we still don't... We don't have that family unit that is... We don't have the same sort of family 
relationships, relations that we perhaps had 40, 50 years ago and also that, you know, other cultures do have yeah. where there's that extended family that looks after each other. And the other thing that impacts elderly people or older people is, of course, we're all living longer, which is great, and that, but with that comes a whole lot of chronic conditions and those chronic conditions can also affect mobility. Mm. And so if you don't have the mobility to go out and do things or you're in chronic pain, then that's an issue for, you know, how much you want to actually see people and socialise, but also how much that affects your mental health. Also with the pandemic, we're going through another wave of it now. So even if there are no restrictions to stay at home, a lot of elderly people, I imagine, would be not going out as much for fear. Same with people who have chronic conditions or... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. More at risk. Yeah, yeah. And, and and it's a really sensible thing to do, right? Like, yeah. You know, so you self-select out of a lot of social activities. So you know, perhaps if you're going to a community centre to to do a particular activity, you may not want to go do that right now. Yeah. And then if you think about you know the the whole issue around nursing homes and and the lockdowns there, and that was just. I mean, it bordered on, on, I understand the reasons why, but it bordered on cruelty, yeah. you know, for the person that was experiencing that and not necessarily understanding that. So I think a lot of people feel isolated. Mm. Do you think that now, you know, we were talking about before depression and anxiety are talked about a lot more. I think there's a lot more discussion around mental health. Do you think that more people have depression and anxiety in this time or is it just that more people are being diagnosed correctly because also I hear people talking about oh you know when people start talking about having ADHD or something on TikTok or Instagram then all of a sudden everyone seems to have it mm-hmm. but it's like I don't a contagion effect yeah but yeah. it's not necessarily maybe a lot of people just have it but never knew or would never Absolutely. listen to and I think there there may be an element of this sort of contagion effect that you know, it's um, if you're reading, say, a medical dictionary or you go onto WebMD and you start reading about, oh, I've got this lump on my hand, so I might just see a Google and see what that is. And WebMD tells you, you know, there's about 20, 40, 60, whatever conditions it can be. You can probably relate to a number of those conditions yeah. and diagnose yourself. That's why, you know, doctors often say, don't go and do that. Um, I will say, though. I went on WebMD the morning that my intestines twisted and I didn't know what was happening, but my stomach was sore and I went on WebMD and it said, if your stomach is still sore in two hours, go to the hospital. And was it was. the first time? That was the first time when I was on the ferry from Manly really? to... Yeah. Oh, well, there you so go. So there you go. But in other times, I've probably by now, I would have had cancer about 55 times and yes. measles and all these things, you know, because you look and you're like, oh, I could, all my symptoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I've been yeah. pregnant like... 5,000 times. So this is just a disclaimer. Don't go and self-diagnose. Go to the doctor. Yeah. Um, We're not promoting promoting Google, WebMD or anything else of of that nature. Where were we though? Oh, is it? Yes. What's causing this? Like, you know, there, there, there are more. You're right. Depression, anxiety is being diagnosed more. I think there's a number of reasons for that. Our rates just organically increasing. We know that they have increased post uh, pandemic, mm. and there's there's a, a number of of 
uh, studies that have that support that from the World Health Organization to when I was doing a little bit of homework just before you know University of Queensland have put out a study as well so it's quite a significant increase mm. the other thing is yes greater awareness by the public of mental health I think that the stigma whilst it's still there has definitely reduced mm. I mean I remember when I was growing up nobody you never saw anything about depression or anxiety, mm. PTSD, anything. Like it just was not, it was not a subject that came to front of mind. It was not a subject that was talked about. I think there's a lot more transparency there. And whilst there is still stigma, it, yeah, it certainly has lessened. We also know that there is overprescribing of antidepressants and anti-anxiety and a whole lot of psychotropic medication. That in itself is problematic too. And so if we're looking at the rates of depression, anxiety and mental health issues from a you know dispensing uh, perspective, we may be seeing much more inflated numbers than, than is actually there. But without a doubt, it's increasing. Mm. When people talk about mental health, there's different words that people use. Recently, I've heard people saying mental ill health Mm. what's that about yeah that's a good question and it's it's you know i think there's a a preference i think things do go in fads as well and we've gone away from it seems uh having a mental health condition or mental illness Mm. to actually talking about there is there's health and then there's illness and by having you can, you can actually I guess define like mental ill health what does that say to you like it or doesn't it say anything does it just confuse you it doesn't confuse me I guess if you think about it in a logical sense the way that the words go it would be just like saying I'm physically sick like I'm not you know there's nothing really wrong with me I'm having this moment where I'm just I have a cold or a flu like it's a short-term thing that's yeah. what it's it sounds to me like there's less weight attached to that maybe that's why people yeah. use it more yeah and, and I think it's probably I mean look it's it's a personal preference I, I don't I don't really mind how people categorize well to a degree their mental health condition or mental illness it doesn't bother me as long as people are able to feel comfortable in doing so. I think that's probably the most important thing. Psychological distress is another one that mm. people might use or psychological ill health mm. or psychological health. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's also the same. We, we do have variations as well in the terms we use for settings where we seek treatment. So it might be a mental health, you know, you might go to a mental health unit mm. or you might go to a psychology practice mm. um, or you might seek a psychological service or um, a mental health service. Mm. What do you prefer? So, you know, it's it depends. Some, some people would associate certain words with more stigma or less stigma. Do people still use the term nervous breakdown or is it called something else now? Yeah, people still do. Yeah, uh, a nervous breakdown is a major depressive episode. Oh. Yeah, that's what it is. But it's it's an old term, but it's a term that has stuck around. And 
yeah, I'll, I'll still hear, particularly for, I mean, it's interesting that you know that term. Well, yeah. Well, for me, it's funny. When I think of nervous breakdown, I think of like manic, a manic, Manic instability instability a manic instability not a manic episode but just like because when i think of a severe depression i think of depression in its stereotypical sense i guess which low looks energy like what? low energy low energy yeah because i feel like i've had a couple of nervous breakdowns <laughs> <laughs> seriously and so when i've had mine i've not i've been here there and everywhere yeah yeah I'm just like very highly strung yeah, well, I which mean, is not to say that I wasn't depressed, but I just yeah, yeah. So, so, so look. First of all, everyone experiences depression slightly differently. You mm. know, our expression of our emotions um, is different for everyone, and not that depression is an emotion per se, but it's a combination of behaviour, thoughts, and feelings. With with the term nervous breakdown, yeah, I say it's interesting because you're thirty. And oh, don't that say term that. Has I'm not, not been, 30. I'm not 30. I'm that 24. term has not been around for a very long time. Um, it does give very Stepford Wife. Yes, it does. Yeah. And, it's a, and it's a Rolling Stones, you know, they, they, they use that, that term in one of their songs as well. Oh. Yeah. So, um, yes. So in answer to your question, it is still around. But not from a professional, like a professional would not say you're having a you're nervous, having break a nervous down. breakdown. That's yeah. what I would say yeah. to <laughs> myself in the mirror or to Ira when she stares at me and I'm running around. And, and the term is generally associated with females as well. Yeah, you never hear about men having a nervous no. breakdown. No, you don't. Yeah. What do men do? Um, men probably just lose it. Oh, he just lost it. Yeah, he just lost it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably it. Mm. Or a burnout it could be a burnout. I've had a burnout. Yeah, I think burnout's actually pretty common. That's probably another presentation mm. that that you see a bit more, particularly you know if you're a psychologist that's working in a in more of an occupational setting or EAP setting, like an employee assistance yeah. program setting. Yeah, it's it's not it's not something that would be un- uncommon. Mm. I was listening to a podcast. That was out a few years ago, but I listened to the episode again recently about this woman who had a burnout and had to be admitted into a mental health facility. Like, completely her life just Mm. fully changed. She couldn't function the way that she used to all of a sudden. Mm. Just Mm. people work a lot. Hustle culture, capitalism. Yeah, there's a hustle culture, capitalism, but it's also, you know, technology... Because technology has enabled us to be to be at work basically twenty four seven, people don't switch off, people don't have those boundaries, and it's not you know, and it's a combination of things. But I, I think there's a, a and responsibility lies lies with both parties, but ultimately the responsibility I believe lies with the employer to set those boundaries, to to take care of their staff, to be able to recognise when they are asking too much of their staff. And I think because I think right now in particular with, you know, all the issues economically and all the doom and gloom as well, forecast for the next few years in Australia and, other, in, and in other countries, uh, people are scared. Mm. People are concerned about their jobs. and uh, And I think that... 
then that lends itself naturally to people trying to go that extra mile as well. Mm. Um, or opposite way, they just go, oh, yeah, yeah, I give up. I can't keep up this pace. And also there's just so much. There's climate change. Mm-hmm. There's the economy. There's whatever Look personal the stuff. I know the floods, the fires, the United States of America, there's just like a lot of stress. There's a lot of stress. I mean, you've got that twit, you know, that's about to, that's oh, just announced that he's him. going to, to run again. And I don't even want to get on, on that tangent. But, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff. I think people have lost faith in, in leaders in general. I just feel like in humanity, perhaps, because like these are all human individuals who are making these choices or corporations. Can corporations pay tax? Like, that is what really gets me. Mm. I had a huge tax bill last year. I make, like, no money. Yeah. Can Gina Reinhart... Also, she was spotted at a Trump rally, just so you know. Okay. Anyway, let's not talk about this because I'm going to get really angry. But this actually brings me to the next question I have, which is what are some tools or tips for dealing with this constant influx of not-so-great news and heavy information? Yeah. Oh, look, there's nothing revelationary that I can say there except for, you know, you do have, whilst you don't have control, none of us have control about what's happening in America or what a certain politician does except for through our voting rights, which I think we should all exercise and I think it's a privilege to be able to do that. But we do have control over our own behaviour. We can make wise choices to protect ourselves uh, our psychological health that means you know switching off choosing what you choose to watch on television you know however you access the media in a really conscious way so you're not just absorbing a whole lot of stuff that potentially is going to play on your mind i think the nature of this 24-hour news cycle means that every time, potentially, you turn on the television, you will see trauma through the news. Mm. Uh, and I, I actually think that it's getting worse. I don't know if it actually, like the media coverage is just being more saturated with it than it used to be. I'm thinking, you know, I mean, like, particularly with climate, it is such a major issue that and the economy seems to be the total, complete focus of the news cycle now. And there are good news stories as well, Mm. but they just aren't looked at. Mm. And because sensationalism sells, right? You know, if you can have those big, big news items. But it's interesting what sensationalism sells because they don't, really talk that much about I mean if we watch news it's ABC or SBS but a lot of the other channels won't really talk about what's happening in Iran no or not many talked in full detail about what happened to Cassius Turvey mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah 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 so they choose what they think is going to resonate with mm. the audience and I think you know I don't watch the mainstream news and what I mean by that I don't watch the commercial channels so I can't really comment on what they're showing. But, yeah, they choose what resonates with the audience. And I think, in many respects, media underestimates the audience that they're talking to as well. I think if there was more diversity 
across the board, but, you know, in news, that people would actually tune into that, mm. but people aren't given the opportunity either. You know, I remember I used to listen to, and I don't even know if they still do it, like the local ABC up here in Brisbane, they used to have a half hour of, um, this is going back a few years, of all the good news stories. Mm. So they would do a review of good news stories. And that was like quite a unique novel thing to do because that's not what, what usually the news is all about. Mm. Yes, yeah, so, so making conscious decisions about what you choose to view when you do view something that is disturbing allowing yourself time to process that allowing yourself the the time to actually counter what you've mm. seen as well by putting into perspective so you know actively then going and searching for something that cat videos yeah cat videos you know a little bit of self-care there mm. i think is is really important and, and also it's the same as social media so it's not just like the disturbing things that you see on the news or on on you know whatever format you, you choose to view what's going on in the world but it's also social media and like some of the stuff that you see on there particularly when it's not realistic, mm. can really do harm to, to somebody. If you're saturating your brain with that stuff, you actually, even though intellectually you might know, oh, you know, that's that person doesn't look like that or that's not real life living, you know, this sort of lovely existence with cocktails every hour or whatever it might be. Over time, you're saturating your brain with that. So that's the message that you're sending yourself, mm. even though intellectually you know that's not true because you're not intellectually on all the time. Mm. So you're quite passive when you're looking at that material. So I think there's there's definitely a need to be more conscious and deliberate with that too. Mm. I agree. I was thinking I choose to watch at the moment lots of crime shows, documentaries. What does that say about what's wrong with me? Well, so do I. And sometimes I, I, I reflect on this because... There's, there's a, a real perversion there. I mean, crime shows are the and podcasts mm. are, I think, the, the most popular. Especially with women. Do you know, I have researched why women love Law & Order SVU. Mm. And there's why a, is that? There's a few papers on it. Oh. Um, yeah, because it's a full-on thing. Like, it's like a phenomenon. Olivia. It's because we like Olivia. We feel safe with her. And Elliot Stabler, although he's not in these ladies. Yeah, I don't really like Elliot so much. I do. Oh. Everyone loves Elliot. Mm. What are you talking about? Christopher Maloney is an icon. Mm. But it's because you're seeing these things and you feel like it's giving you information to combat it. You always see the criminal pretty much get locked up. Mm. You see Olivia. So there's a sense of justice, isn't there? There is. And it's also formulaic. You know, oh yeah, it's, absolutely. It's procedural, so there's that comfort in the repetitive nature of the structure. Yeah. So it's comforting, and if you have yeah. anxiety, that's like the best thing for you to watch something that you know the way it's going to play out. Yeah, yeah. And then how about podcasts? Then I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. I don't know the story behind that. Yeah, I mean, when I listen to a lot of them as well, and then I go on breaks, true crime breaks. Um, I can't watch true crime. But it bores, bores me. But uh, I do worry sometimes, and I, I must actually think about this a bit more, why why I listen to true crime. Because they're devastating, awful, yeah. awful stories, real stories about people. And 
it's also, good though the, when you listen and you know that the person who's done it has been captured and yeah justice has been served yeah but also i i, I the hosts of some of those uh, podcasts the um i guess the levity Mm, yeah, I don't like they, that. Yeah, and and the jokes like these are this. I find that really disrespectful. So I actually, I'm not going to tell you what podcasts I listen to about true crime, but I don't think those po- the podcasts I listen to do that. Yeah, which and you're right. There is that sense of justice at yeah. the end. Yeah, but I, I it, it's a fascinating phenomenon to me that uh, they are so so popular. Mm. Yeah. Well, this is the last question I have for you, oh. and that is, if you enjoyed, oh, I've enjoyed our little talk. <laughs> well, it's a bit of quality time on the on the radio, no, on the podcast. I'm here all the time. You know where I am. Uh, do you have a recommendation for the listeners? Anything? Watch, read, listen, think about. I I guess just with your 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 own self care, it's probably. One of the most important things is boundary setting. Yes. And because that's how you take care of yourself. Yeah. And and the reason why boundaries are so important and setting them and being quite assertive in setting them at times um, or quite deliberate in setting them is that we all have different boundaries, right? Mm. And so what is acceptable to one person and, you know, like whether that's a physical boundary and being quite close to you, you know, close talker, you know. <laughs> Yuck, um, I hate a close talker. <laughs> close talker. Get away. Yeah, exactly. But but also in emotional closeness, um, neediness, you know, some people might find somebody who needs a lot of emotional attachment to you to be quite needy. So, and, and that can be very draining on, on, on yourself. We're all different. It's okay to set those boundaries because those boundaries keep us psychologically and physically safe. Well, thank you, Georgia. Ash? Oh, look, it's been a pleasure, Ayesha. Anytime. Ira came in. My cat came in for a hot second and roamed around with a little bell if you heard that noise. Um, but thank you for listening to another episode of No Offence But. You can find links to Blackbirds, myself... Georgia, I won't put your Instagram link oh, in there. Oh, no, because no. there's nothing on it. But can I say just goodbye to the listener? Is uh, that what you do these days? Listeners, yes. yes Hopefully there's more than one. <laughs> well, oh if, there's a, if there's more than one, let's book a plural. Oh my god. Goodbye listeners. It's been a joy. It's always it's always a joy to talk to Aisha. This is a you know, this is a, a mother daughter quality moment. No, it's not. Quality time. Oh okay, god, god help me. Enough, okay. enough with me. Bye.